we have someone speaking at Oasis who's spoken a number of times before, but I suspect a number of people you wouldn't necessarily have heard, and that's Gene Arms. Gene's going to come and speak in just a moment. Yeah, popular. Very popular. Um, Gene is a really good friend of ours, the Belieber clan. And um, Gene is also in my small group, and so I get the benefit of really being taught by Gene every week. And um, very often on a Thursday night as we gather and we're looking at the Bible together, Gene will say something and just think, oh, wow, that's just dropped. I've just understood something that I didn't quite see before, and it's really helped me to know Jesus better and to love him better. She is um, a woman of great character who has a real gifting, and so we're going to be blessed as we receive what Jean has to bring to us today. So I'm going to pray for her, and then Jean's going to go up, okay? Father God, I want to thank you for Jean. I want to thank you for uh, your presence in her life. I want to thank you, Jesus, that she's one of those people who, um, when you spend time with her, you come away feeling built up and encouraged. And so, Lord, thank you that you are going to use her this morning. Thank you she's going to bring your word. Thank you it's your word that's going to be heard. And so, Father, we're open to everything that you want to do. We pray, Holy Spirit, would you move through the proclamation of your word now, and may it cause faith and hope and love to grow in our hearts. And would you bless Jean abundantly as she brings it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mike. Um, yes, I am Jean. Um, hello to all of you. Um, this afternoon, I am going to be sharing some things that God has been speaking to me about uh, through a passage in John where Mary Magdalene meets the risen Jesus. Before we delve into the passage, I feel it's um, useful to perhaps start with some background on Mary. Who is Mary? And why do we find her at the tomb of Jesus after he's been crucified? So Mary is known as Mary Magdalene. There were lots of Marys in Jesus' life, so in order to know which one was which, she was known as Mary Magdalene because she came from a village called Magdala. Jesus met her at a time where she was being tormented um, in a time of turmoil where she was possessed by seven demons and Jesus freed her from that. And from that time on, Mary Magdalene became a devoted follower of Jesus. She was part of his circle. She traveled with him. She gave financially to him. She served him. And when times took um, a really dark twist for Jesus, when he was put on trial and when he was crucified, Mary Magdalene was there, there at his trial, there at his crucifixion, remaining that devoted follower of Jesus. So it's hardly surprising that Jesus would have chosen to first reveal his resurrected, his risen body to his devoted servant and follower, Mary. So this passage finds Mary at the empty tomb of Jesus. She was going there expecting to find Jesus' body. Why had she gone? Well, she had gone to perform what she probably assumed would be her final act of devotion to her precious, precious Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us that she had gone there with spices to anoint his dead body. Even in death, she was devoted, getting up early in the morning 
to come to anoint his dead body. So we're going to look at the account of this from John 20, from verses 11 to 18. So this is at a point where Mary and some of the others have already um, already discovered that Jesus' body is not there. Um, and Mary goes back to the tomb after realizing this, that realizing that Jesus' body had gone. And this is what the Bible tells us about, about that. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels standing at the head and the foot of where Jesus had been lying. Why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She glanced over her shoulder and saw someone standing behind her. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned towards him and exclaimed, teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the father. But go, find my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my father and to your father. My God and your God. Mary knew it was Jesus because of his voice. It was when he spoke to her that she knew him. Not at first, but I think we can cut her some slack for that. She was expecting to find his body. She wasn't expecting to find him alive. But it was that moment where he used her name, where he spoke personally to her. Mary, Jesus said. That is when she turned towards him and exclaimed, teacher. That was the moment when she realized that Jesus was alive. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. And um, he talks a lot about being a shepherd and the image of us as his sheep. There's a passage in John which illustrates this really beautifully. And I'm just going to read that to us now. This is from John 10. A shepherd enters through the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I uh, grew up in North Devon on a farm and a few years ago I um, spent a year on the farm as a kind of break from my studies. It was at a point in my life which was really difficult and dark where my dad had lost his battle with cancer and he'd gone to be with Jesus. And so I decided that at that point in time, it was right for me to stay on the farm, to stay with my mum 
and to help out. And so for a year, I became a shepherd. Um, And you'll see some pictures, hopefully, where you can see me and my flock. There they are, all eight of them. So during the course of that year, I was these eight lambs. I was their shepherd. I looked after them. I checked on them multiple times every day. I made sure that they were safe, that they were well fed. And God really spoke to me through that time. And and demonstrated and illustrated beautifully some of these passages in the Bible where God talks about shepherd and his flock and sheep knowing his voice. And I discovered that this is all absolutely true. My flock learnt my voice. They knew my voice. I could stand at the gate of the field without a single one of them in sight. I call out to them and they would all come bounding over the hill to me. They didn't do that for anyone else. They did it because I was their shepherd and they knew my voice. I had been providing for them and caring for them and they learnt my voice. And it became a a bit of a party trick. Whenever someone came to visit, they'd want to see this for themselves to see if it was really true. Could I actually be little Bo Peep? (laughs) Um, And I've got a couple of extra photos on there just from last weekend. So last weekend, I was down in Devon on the farm and we had some of our very first lambs of the season. Um, The lambs that Uh, raised by hand tend to be lambs that have either been orphaned or whose mothers don't have enough milk for them or just can't care for them and so there you can see my godchildren Summer and Harry with the two first tame lambs of the season the two first that had only been born a couple of days before to be hand reared and the one that you can see Harry in the middle there he's got on his lap that's Blackfoot Blackfoot was quite nervous of us because he didn't know us. We'd only just met, that's fair enough. And Harry was incredibly patient and gentle and spent an hour, an hour and a half in that pen with Blackfoot until Blackfoot learned that actually this is someone who is safe. And then they just sat together like that. It was a really beautiful scene. Sheep know their shepherd's voice. And Mary knew her shepherd's voice. To know Jesus is to know his voice. Mary had that encounter with Jesus in his bodily resurrected form. She heard the audible voice of Jesus, that audible voice that she'd been hearing for some time as she followed him and served him. But it's fair to say, I think, that hearing the audible voice of Jesus for us is incredibly rare. And probably in our lifetimes, most of us won't hear the audible voice of God. But we still know that God speaks. God speaks. The pastor and Bible teacher David Pawson was once asked, how do you know that Jesus is alive? And he said, well, I was just talking to him. God speaks. He speaks in a myriad of ways. He uses the everyday and he uses the miraculous. He uses the ordinary and he uses the extraordinary to speak to us. We heard this morning how God had spoken through a mango. Incredible. God often speaks through his creation. My dad had been a farmer all of his life 
And the thing that brought him to fall in love with Jesus was watching a little pea chick hatch its way out of an egg, which caused him just to ask, how does that chick know the right time to peck its way out of the egg? Who told the chick that? And then it comes out of the egg and it walks. Who taught the chick to walk? And he fell in love with Jesus through spending time in his creation. Brother Lawrence, a monk from the 17th century, had an experience through creation where he just looked at a barren tree in winter and God spoke to him about the new life that was to come in that tree and he fell in love with Jesus. God speaks today. It might not be an audible voice, but God certainly speaks. How do we then know what his voice sounds like? How do we know if what we are hearing is actually God, not just a random thought of our own or wishful thinking? There are certain things about God's voice that resonate in our spirits that lead us to know that it's his voice and not another voice. When we hear from God, God's voice brings revelation, not confusion. God's voice brings clarity, not chaos. It brings lightness, not darkness. Lightness, not heaviness. Life, not death, not destruction. God's voice brings hope, not despair. Peace, not turmoil, not fear. Comfort, not isolation. God's voice brings courage, not timidity. Joy, not misery. And that's joy distinct from happiness, not dependent on our circumstance or what's going on around us, but supernatural joy. God's voice brings conviction, not condemnation. His voice brings freedom, not slavery, not obligation. His voice brings rest, not striving. That's not to say that we won't experience those other things, but it's not what the voice of God brings. God's voice also draws us closer to him. It lines up with his character and who he says we are. God's voice encourages us and carries us. God's voice has authority and power. God's voice rescues and redeems. We see that in the most magnificent rescue plan known to mankind, Jesus' death on the cross, perfect, spotless, innocent, fully God, fully man, voluntarily giving up his life, suffering, humiliation, the death of a criminal, to rescue us and redeem us so that we can come into God's presence, so that we can share eternity with God. God's voice leads and does not push. God's voice transforms and heals our brokenness. God's voice restores and renews us. I'm just going to linger on a couple of those things for a moment or two. God's voice leads and does not push. 
we go back to the picture of us being portrayed as sheep. The Bible talks about us being sheep, not goats. And there's an important distinction between the two. There are some similarities. Um, Small farm animals, small ruminants, if you like technical terms. But sheep will follow. That passage told us that he walks ahead and they follow him because they know his voice. The shepherd walks in front of his sheep, he calls them, and they follow. The goat doesn't do that. To move the goat, you stand behind the goat and you drive the goat. And you tell it to move. And you push it. God's voice leads and does not push. If you feel like you're being pushed into a situation, then that's not God's voice. God's voice transforms and heals our brokenness. It restores and renews us. We've been hearing quite a bit about the Japanese art of kintsugi, which translates means gold repair. (coughs) This is something that was developed when... um, An emperor had a ceramic container that got broken and he really wanted it repaired. Um, And he wanted it to to continue to be that precious thing that he treasured. And the first repair was clunky and ugly. So he commissioned the people around him to come up with an alternative. And they came up with this. They came up with um, this idea of repairing it with gold. And so very carefully they will just take all of the pieces of the ceramic and carefully put it back together. And this process often takes longer than it would have taken to create that piece in the first place. That process ends up producing a piece of ceramics that is worth more than it was in the first place. It adds to its beauty, it adds to its story, and that's such a beautiful picture of how God transforms and heals our brokenness, how he restores and renews us. One of the things that really speaks to me most about Jesus' bodily resurrection is the fact that he had this this new body which seemingly could walk through walls and just appear in places, yet he still had scars. Scars, not wounds. Scars from the cross. Because those scars are like that kintsugi. They're like that gold repair. They point to this glorious victory on the cross. Death couldn't hold him down. He rose again, never to die again, and to take us into eternity with him. Those scars point to that glorious victory. Some 10 years ago, um, before I had moved to Birmingham, I went through some of the darkest times of my life when my husband was diagnosed with a terminal cancer. And I can't quite describe to you what that was like. It was a pretty horrific time. And one of the things that had happened for me from that 
point of trying to get our heads around the fact that Paul had this cancer that the medical profession said they couldn't do anything for. In hearing that, I had decided that I didn't matter. It was all about Paul and how I could care for him and how I could comfort him, how I could be there for him, how I could be the best wife I could possibly be to him. Because he was going through it and it wasn't about me. And through an amazing series of events and um, faithful friends, we ended up one day in the office having a private meeting with a pastor based in Solihull, David Carr, some of you might know him. We'd never met him before, he didn't know us, but in that meeting, he spoke the voice of God to me. He said things to me that might have seemed completely irrelevant and beside the point. He talked to me about places I'd lived and where I'd been, about who I was as a person, all sorts of things that he couldn't possibly have known about me. And in that moment, I heard God's voice speaking through Pastor Dave, saying, I know you. I've always known you. I still know you. And you do matter. And that started a process of that gold repair in me. times in our lives when things might seem pretty bleak and when actually we just don't hear his voice. There, was, there have been plenty of that in my life, times where I just, I just can't hear him. And through those times, God has taught me two things, which I think are really key to to hearing his voice. And I'm just going to share those with you now. The first, first one is allowing ourselves to be raw and honest with him. To be raw and honest. When Paul was first diagnosed, I felt angry and confused and didn't know what the heck God was up to but I felt that it was completely irreverent and inappropriate for me to say that to God. You can't do that. So I held it in. And it wasn't until I got to a real place of brokenness where I found myself curled up in a ball on the floor, crying and screaming out to God that I encountered him again and that I heard his voice again, without rebuke. But I heard his voice again. The Bible is full of that kind of thing. I love the Bible because it's full of raw, honest, human emotion. But what I love more than the raw honesty of what we see in the, of the people in the Bible is God's response, what God says in response. Just going to share a couple of lines from a psalm, Psalm 77. You could say that this is a psalm of despair, or you could call it a psalm of praise, because both feature really heavily in this psalm. And it's hard to believe 
when you read certain verses, the other verses form part of that same psalm. Verse 9 says, Has God forgotten to be kind? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? But then we skip a few verses. Verse 13 and 14. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of miracles and wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. How is it possible that the psalmist went from despair to praise within this one psalm? Well, I think what we see there is an honest and raw cry out to God. And it was in that place that the psalmist then encountered him again. We think about Mary coming to that empty tomb, already grief-stricken. And adding to her grief is now the thought that her precious Jesus, that his body had been stolen. And she weeps. The Bible tells us that he collects our tears in his jar, that our tears are precious to him. And all of a sudden, as she is weeping, she finds herself in the presence of the risen Lord Jesus. When we don't hear his voice, we need to allow ourselves to be raw and honest, whether we've got words for that or whether all we can do is weep. And the second thing that God has been teaching me and continues to teach me about is allowing ourselves to be carried by community. It's part of God's original design that we should be in community. Being in community was not an afterthought. Being in community was there before the fall. We are designed to be in community. There are several accounts in the Gospels of a group of friends carrying their friend who is paralyzed to the feet of Jesus. They go to great lengths to get to the feet of Jesus. There are crowds around him. He's in a house. There are crowds around him. There's no way they can get through, particularly not with a man on a stretcher. So instead of giving up or thinking they'll come back another day, they cut a hole in the roof of the house to lower him to the feet of Jesus. What a beautiful picture of community. And as the man is lying on his mat at the feet of Jesus, Jesus looks at the friends and he sees their faith and then says to the man, roll up your mat and walk. It was the faith of his friends that he was resting on. And Jesus said, get up and walk. We're called in this community, to rest on the faith of our friends. This is not a second-rate faith. This is real faith. We're called to lean on each other. Going back to the picture of the sheep. We are sheep. Sheep uh, gather together in flocks, and they travel together in flocks. Goats like to go off by themselves, and they're independent. We're called to gather together and travel together. We're called to 
rejoice with each other in the good times and carry each other through pain and through suffering. Today was the London Marathon, which I love. I've never done a marathon. I love watching them. Um, doing them seems like a lot more hard work to me. But I do love watching the marathon because I can't, I can't help but see God's kingdom revealed through the marathon. Um, and I'm not ashamed to say that whenever I do watch it, it makes me cry. <laughs> There's such beautiful pictures of community and how God's kingdom is meant to look. A couple of years ago, um, there was about 200, 200 meters or so from the finish line, so the finish line in sight. Um, there's going to be a picture, I think, coming up in a minute, so you can see. There we go. So these two guys on the left here, the guy in the black, was on the verge of collapse when the guy you see next to him came alongside him. Complete strangers, never met before. And that guy next to him is pointing at the finish line and telling him, it's there, we're going to get there. And he waves at the crowds and says, come on, come on, cheer, cheer him on. The guy in the black on the verge of collapse is meanwhile saying to him, no, you go, you go, knowing how important it is to, for him to finish his race, maybe get a personal best, that's important too. And he says, no, I'm getting you to the finish line. And so this man and one of the volunteers end up pretty much carrying him across the finish line. And afterwards, when he was interviewed, he said, that was the perfect way to finish my race was to carry this stranger across the finish line. That is a kingdom principle, that we carry each other when we need to be carried. This morning as I was talking to God about what to bring, I felt him say, tell Oasis, tell Oasis that I am so pleased with the way that they partner with me and the way that they partner with each other. The way that we carry each other through. I am so pleased with that. And I'd just like to encourage us all to lean on each other as God's kingdom principle, to be raw and honest and to lean on each other. Allow ourselves to be carried. Allow yourself to rest on the faith of your friends when whatever situation you're in has meant that you are spiritually paralyzed and can't bring yourself to him. Allow, allow your community, allow others around you to carry you to the feet of Jesus. And just as we were praying this afternoon, um, felt something else that God wanted to say, particularly this afternoon, to do with the grave clothes. When Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus appeared still in his grave clothes and destined to die again. When Jesus rose from the dead, the grave clothes were left behind. They were in the tomb. 
And do you know what? Jesus had this resurrection body that could walk through walls. The tomb, the stone in front of the tomb wasn't rolled away to allow Jesus to walk out. The stone was rolled away to allow us to see he is not here and the grave clothes have been left behind. He has beaten death and sin. He is risen in victory. And just this afternoon, I feel like there might be someone here or maybe more than one person who just needs to hear that. Someone who's maybe been struggling to just leave the grave clothes behind. If that's you, can I encourage you to either come forward. There are people here who would count it a privilege and a joy to pray with you. Or if you don't feel that you can come forward, that's okay. But don't leave it there. Don't delay. Please find someone that you trust that can pray that through with you. Perhaps where you are, you might just want to stand. Let's um, stand together. We all sense the presence of God with us in the room as Jean was speaking. She's speaking from the Bible, and so we've heard the voice of God. When we open up the scriptures, we hear the voice of God. And we recognize in that voice all those different things that Jean has described. A God who is for us, not against us. And even at the very beginning, God words creation into being. He speaks it into being. And so he speaks us into his life and goodness. We've heard that again this morning. So where you are now, why don't you just, as we've got our eyes closed, just open your hands to God. Say, I'm here to receive your word. God knows what it is that each of us needs at this moment in time. And as his sheep, we don't need to fight, but rather can follow his voice. His voice that brings freedom, because his voice is true, and the truth sets us free. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you know each and every individual in this room. But I thank you also we're not just here as individuals, but as a body. Even if it's someone's first time they are in this moment part of this community. I thank you that you come to us as the head of the body, Jesus. As the vine to the branches as the source of all life and goodness and healing and grace. Thank you, you are the risen one who came to Mary in the garden, just as you walked in the garden at the beginning with your people, showing her your wounds, your scars, by which life has been bought and healing has been secured. Heavenly Father, I pray would you come to each and every individual here now, therefore, and to us as your people, as your community. By the power of your Spirit, would you come now. And where people need to feel understood, I pray they would know that you are the one who understands. Where people need 
permission to hurt, would you come to them as the one who is the comforter? Where people are in desperate need of healing, would you come as the healer? Where people, Lord, are in need of forgiveness, would you come as the saviour of the world? The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As those who are in the world, that is for us too. Jesus, for people who are harried by anxiety and fear, would you come as the Prince of Peace? For those who feel lonely, would you come as the Lord of Love? As the very Word of God who brings communication of the love of God? Lord, would you come now, I pray, Holy Spirit. Come in power. We welcome you here. Come have your way. Thank you that your word never returns to you empty. It always accomplishes that which it's set out for. So come now. Speak a word, Lord, into the depths of hearts and souls here. A word of the goodness of God, of the release of the freedom of God, of the grace of God, of the truth of God. There's no one like you, Lord. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better one moment with you, just a glimpse of you. Everything else is rubbish compared to that surpassing greatness of knowing you, Jesus. We love you, Lord.